Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Across the Bifrost, the Mighty Thor podcast where we explore the world of Marvel's Mighty Thor. I am your host, Ryan Doze, and you are in for quite a treat today. If you listened to last week's episode of the show, you may be expecting a list of Thor's top villains today, but sadly, due to a scheduling conflict, the guest I had lined up for that, our friend Dan the Articulator, uh, we weren't able to go and record that this week. Dan is a good friend of the podcast, and I do not want to do that list without him. So, we will record that segment when his schedule allows. In the meantime, I still wanted to do a top list for you today. Since we aren't going to do the foes of Thor, I figured we would go in the exact opposite direction. Today, we are going to break down the top five friends of Thor, his allies, his supporting characters, those who have helped the Thunder God through his his adventures, who fought alongside him, some who have even fallen in love with the Thunder God, and all of them are truly worthy supporting characters. We will get into that in just a minute, but before then, uh, last week on our show, we were able to speak with Mike Rockwitz, former editor for Marvel Comics, an all-around creative handyman. He told us some great stories of his formative years working for Marvel Comics, rising in the ranks from intern to editor, and his love for creating Thor stories. Today, I'm proud to bring you part two of that conversation, where Mike and I go even further into his career, and we focus on his time working with the creators of the mighty Thor. We cover so much of his career, and I don't want to spoil it for you right now. I know you will enjoy the conclusion of our conversation. Before we jump into those two awesome segments, I want to, again, as I do Every week here on the podcast, personally thank each and every one of you that's listening to the show. I really appreciate the support. If you would go the extra mile and rate, review, and subscribe to the show wherever you find the podcast, whether it's on iTunes, Spotify, or any other platform that you're discovering the show, become a subscriber and you will never miss an episode of the show We love when you jump aboard the Rainbow Bridge with us, and every time we do that, you'll be notified if you're subscribed to the show. We appreciate it immensely. Thank you, friends. Thank you for supporting this passion project. And since you are such a good listener, I will delay no further. Here we go with our top five friends of the Mighty Thor. As we get started here on this latest list, which I'm so excited for, I can't wait to talk about the friends of Thor. I wanted to clarify a few things before we jump into the list so that you don't have uh, so many questions as we break it down. There are a few names you will not see on here. Some of them will be honorable mentions later on in the list, but you will not see characters who are traditionally villainous. So, sorry to all the fanboys and fangirls of Loki out there. Loki is not on this list. He does not appear. He will, however, appear on our villain list for sure when we do that down the road. So, characters who are traditionally villains will not be on this list. We are keeping it to the mostly good aligned characters, and there will be some honorable mentions later on. But let's jump into number five on our list of top five friends of Thor. At number five, we have Beta Ray Bill. He first appeared in Mighty Thor 337. This issue is also noted for being Walt Simonson's first issue writing and penciling Thor. If you are unfamiliar with Walt Simonson, his run on the Mighty Thor book is legendary among Marvel Comics creators. Beta Ray Bill is a cyborg champion of an alien race called the Corbinites. Beta Ray Bill guarded his people, the Corbinites, as they fled attacks by fire demons. When he encountered Thor and proved himself worthy to wield Mjolnir, Odin bestowed upon him the powers of Thor, and he bestowed upon Beta Ray Bill a weapon called Stormbreaker, which is an equally powerful hammer that Bill uses. During the events of Ragnarok and Surtur's assault on Midgard, Bill came to the aid of Asgard when Thor left them 
to find out how he could break the cycle of Ragnarok occurring and then re replenishing all of Asgard and then as you know Asgard succumbing to Ragnarok again. He was going off to find how to break that cycle, so he left Bill in charge of the forces of Asgard. Now, using his new weapon, Stormbreaker, Beta Ray Bill travels across the cosmos, righting wrongs, and he is also available whenever Thor would, whenever Thor would need assistance or help with something. So the reason why Beta Ray Bill falls at number five on this list is because he is incredibly worthy. That was the word that I thought of when I thought of Beta Ray Bill. He is worthy. He defends his own people, the Corbinites, with everything he has. All, every, all of their hopes and dreams were poured into Beta Ray Bill during his first appearance early on in Walt Simonson's Thor run. So he sacrifices for people. He is worthy of their trust, and he is a worthy warrior. He always comes to the aid of the mighty Thor. On to number four on our list. Coming in at number four, Heimdall, the Norse god of vigilance, protection, and light. He is also the guardian of the rainbow bridge, the Bifrost, for which this show is named. This bridge links Asgard to the rest of the nine worlds. As an all-seeing Asgardian, the stalwart god Heimdall is the chosen guardian of Asgard. He is almost always found atop the Rainbow Bridge as its guardian, protector, sentinel. Heimdall's gallant nature, his unwavering loyalty, and his unrivaled senses serve as a fantastic defense for all of Asgard. He is their first line of defense from all invading enemies. After the events of Ragnarok destroy Asgard, Heimdall was one of, if not the first Asgardian that Thor resurrected so that Heimdall could help Thor put back the pieces of Asgard and find all of the Asgardians lost among the Nine Realms. Why does Heimdall fall here at number four? Well, Heimdall is been around for a long time in Marvel Comics. He is one of the first Asgardians that we are introduced to. He is prominently shown in the Tales of Asgard stories that we're actually going to cover in a few weeks here on the podcast, If in case you didn't know that. Um, and Heimdall is often portrayed as a stoic uh, a stoic guardian standing aboard the Rainbow Bridge, staring out into the cosmos. He is always aware of the trouble that Asgard might be in. He is always on watch against the enemies of Asgard, and he has always come to the aid of Thor. His level of power is unmatched by most Asgardians. He always is someone that you want in your corner. Now, on to number three... Coming in very fittingly at number three are the Warriors Three, Fandral, Hogan, and Volstag. These are a group of three Asgardian adventurers who are some of Thor's closest friends and dearest comrades. Together, they often fight alongside Thor, and they have thwarted the schemes of many of Asgard's most vile villains through the decades. If Asgard be in danger, you can rest assured that the Warriors 3 will come to its aid. Now, I'm going to break down each member so you know what they bring to this entry at number 3 real briefly. Let's start off with Fandral. Fandral is known for his superior swordsmanship, his bravery, his ego, and his extreme optimism. No matter the consequences, he will always do what's right, even if the result is death. His good looks and his suave charm make him kind of the, the ladies' man of the Warriors 3. But this tendency to court more than one woman at a time has gotten him into trouble throughout the years, understandably. Despite these flaws, he possesses an excessive amount of noble spirit and he will do the right thing without thought of his personal safety or his prosperity. Fandral is always a guy that you want on your team. Next, Hogan. Hogan is a short-tempered Asgardian. He is a skilled battlefield warrior, a great horseman, and a master of all weaponry. He is the only member of the Warriors 3 who is not an Aseer. He is not like most Asgardians in that way. He is not, uh, he's not 
immortal in the way that most of the Asgardians are. And his homeland is lost to memory because it was destroyed so long ago. He is primarily characterized by his blunt, silent, and often short-tempered demeanor. He is the brooding pessimist of the group. He is he often plays opposite Volstag's unending good humor and Fandral's overt desire for heroism. Hogan brings them down uh, to the ground and he tethers them to reality. He is a fierce and unrelenting warrior, a collector of weaponry, and he is often the voice of reason for the Warriors 3. Now on to my favorite member of the Warriors 3, none other than Volstag the Voluminous. Volstag is an essential part of the Warriors 3 and he is known for his mighty size and it's only his mighty size is only exceeded by his good nature and his humor. Of all Thor characters, I, I truly believe Volstag is the funniest. He brings the laughs every time he is in a book. He is the comedic relief of the group. He's known for his hearty appetite and his wide girth. He often refers to himself as the Lion of Asgard. He is one to tell tall tales about himself that may or may not be true. Volstag is kind-hearted and he is truly a friend through and through. Now, when I landed on the Warriors 3 at number 3, which I, I did not plan, but they land at number 3, the word that I thought of for the Warriors 3 was brotherhood. C- together with some other characters uh, like uh, like Lady Sif, Balder the Brave, and, and other Asgardians that go on adventures with Thor and the Warriors 3, there is an immense amount of camaraderie and brotherhood between not only the, the three members of the Warriors 3, but with them and Thor. Wherever Thor goes, wherever he is going on an adventure, you can definitely... Definitely expect the Warriors 3 to not, to not, if not be there with him, to be close behind him. So the Warriors 3, definitely the brotherhood that Thor needs when he is heading off to an adventure. Or if he's just sitting in the, in the tavern one night and they're telling stories of the battles they have fought, they're also uh, quite fun to have around when you need excitement at a party. Now, let's get into the last two members of our top five list at number two. The difference between number two and number one on this list was razor thin. I flip-flopped multiple times as to who should be number two, who should be number one, but I feel like I've landed in a good spot. So at number two, we have the Lady Sif. She is the shield maiden of Asgard, a fierce warrior and a loyal ally. Lady Sif is also at the front of every battle when Asgard itself is in trouble. She is also one of Thor's main love interests. I told you we were going to get to some of Thor's love interests on this list. Sif is the first one. Thor's infatuation with Earth has been a constant draw away from Sif and his duties on Asgard throughout so many uh, of his runs. And it's really a theme of Thor in comics. Sif did for a time try to live a mortal life on, on Earth, but she found it really boring and she decided to go back to Asgard. Furthermore, their relationship has suffered numerous interruptions uh, from other love interests of Thor, uh, primarily Jane Foster, the Enchantress, and Lorelai. Sif and Thor, however, have always found a way to rekindle their romance. Uh, she is an Asgardian goddess, an everlasting comrade to Thor. She has long served as a warrior across the realms on behalf of her friends and her homeland. Why is Sif at number two? So Sif is an interesting character. She's one of my favorite supporting characters in Thor, and I actually believe she deserves a lot more play, maybe in her own limited series or her own comic someday. That might be really cool. One thing that I think characterizes Sif is she is loyal to the 
furthest degree. She is loyal to Thor even when he's interested in somebody else. She is loyal to Asgard even when she's not viewed uh, on the same level as some of their her male counterparts. She is loyal to her homeland and to her friends, and she will always stand up for them. When the chips are down, you can count on Sif to do the right thing and to stand up for her friends and for Asgard. Now, we're going to cover a few of the honorable mentions that didn't make the list for one reason or another, but I feel like they need to at least be brought up today on this top five list. So here are some of the honorable mentions that didn't make the list. Hercules, the prince of power. He is the Olympian god in Marvel Comics. Thor and Hercules have faced off so many different times. They've been friends. They've had a good-hearted rivalry for a long time. They have stood by each other when the universe or Asgard or Olympus was in trouble. So Hercules, definitely a worthy honorable mention. And I'm just going to lump in all of the Avengers here. This is another thing that I, I, I toyed with. Do I include individual Avengers on this list, like Captain America, Iron Man, Hulk? Do I include them on this list? I chose to go with them as a group, honorable mention, because uh, each one of them is definitely worthy of a spot. And maybe maybe someday we'll do a list that's, uh, you know, the top five Avengers that helped Thor or something like that. But the Avengers are definitely worth at least an honorable mention here, the group of which Thor is a founding member. Also... Thunderstrike deserves an honorable mention here as well. Eric Masterson took on the mantle of Thor in the 90s. Uh, We actually got to interview and chat with one of Thunderstrike, Eric Masterson's creators, Ron Friends, a while back. So if you missed that episode, go and check that out. Ron talked uh, a little bit about Thunderstrike and Eric Masterson in those if you want to know a little bit more about him. Also, Angela, who Angela, I always don't know how to pronounce her name but she is the sister of Thor in modern comics and she is a formidable friend Uh, she has again one of those friends where she's fought Thor before and she's also come to his aid before she's definitely worthy of an honorable mention one of the most fun honorable mentions that uh, I, I, I toyed with but he didn't make the list was Throg the Frog of Thunder Puddle Gulp, the uh, creation of Walt Simonson in the 80s run of Thor. Just so much, so much fun to see the the brash and courageous spirit of Thor come out of the body of a frog. Uh, Throg is definitely uh, worthy of a mention here. And now we get to two names that you might have thought you would have heard on this list. Odin and Frigga. Now, I put them in my honorable mentions together, but... Let's be honest, Odin and Frigga both have their own relationships with Thor apart from each other. Frigga is 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 much more of a su- supportive mother figure through most of Thor's comic runs and Odin is sometimes even a a foe of Thor's. He has definitely fought his son on many accounts. They do not have the healthiest father-son relationship that I can recall, but Odin and Frigga, definitely worth an honorable mention here. And for some older comic book fans, this is a name, uh, if you're familiar with uh, 80s, 90s, you know, bronze, silver age comics, you might have thought you would have heard Balder the Brave's name on this list. Balder is a fantastic Asgardian warrior. He is, uh, his nobility, uh, nobility is the word that comes to mind when I think of Balder. Uh, he definitely worth worth a spot, but I felt that there were, uh, other entrants that deserved maybe a little bit more of a spotlight, but Balder definitely definitely a great supporting character in the history of Thor. Now, without further ado, let's get to number one on our list of top five friends of the mighty Thor. Landing at the top spot on our list today is Jane Foster. Now, if you couldn't have told from our honorable mentions, maybe you guessed it was Jane all along. Yes, Jane Foster, 
lands here on the top spot. And here is a little bit about Jane. Jane Foster was created by Stan Lee, Larry Lieber, and Jack Kirby, first appearing in Journey into Mystery number 84. If you're interested about her first appearance, go back and check out our Throwback Thursday episode, one of our first ones, and we talk all about her first appearance there. She is initially introduced as Thor's co-worker. She is a mortal nurse to the alter ego of Thor, Dr. Donald Blake. Jane soon became a primary love interest of Thor and Donald Blake's, appearing in nearly every issue of the initial series. Though her appearances started to grow fewer and fewer uh, between the later years, Jane eventually received more attention throughout the Marvel Universe apart from Thor. In fact, during the Civil War storyline, she showed up as the doctor to Captain America's side, and uh, she was able to even... Uh, patch up and fix up Peter Parker after he takes a beating in that storyline. After decades serving mostly as a supporting character in other people's stories, Jane finally, in 2014, became a headliner. She uh, was the headline in the relaunch of Thor starring the new Goddess of Thunder when Thor Odinson was deemed unworthy during the original Sin crossover event. So Thor is uh, having to lay down the mantle of the God of Thunder, and Jane takes a turn as Thor. This was originally kept as a mystery, uh, and with her recent cancer diagnosis serving as her kind of her cover up, her secret identity. And during this time, she joined the Avengers and she helped restore the universe back to the way it was, the way it was intended to be, um, before the Secret Wars event that was also happening at that time. After dying as Thor, dying in, in quotes, after giving up the mantle of Thor, Jane relinquishes uh, the name back to Odinson, which also it, it sent her cancer back into remission. So Jane uh, really benefited from putting down the mantle of Thor as well. That would not be the end of her career as a hero, though, with developments in the War of the Realms storyline that just happened a year or so ago. It led her to become the brand new Valkyrie, and she headlined the first ever Valkyrie solo title. That's a little bit about Jane and what she has been up to uh, nowadays and where she came from. Jane Foster lands at number one because, honestly, she's my favorite. She's one of my absolute favorite Thor characters. Her development over the years is unquestionable uh, from from being kind of the um, the simple 60s portrayal of a female side character to being a powerhouse in modern comics, not only as Thor, but as the current Valkyrie. Her her time as Thor during the Jason Aaron run is fantastic. Um, I know to some she can be a little bit of a controversial figure. You know, we don't need a we don't need a girl Thor. Uh, yes, we absolutely needed Jane Foster as Thor. It refreshed that character, and it also gave Thor a different avenue to walk down. The unworthy Thor line that was happening at the same time really fleshed out a lot more about Thor Odinson's character that would not have been able to happen if he had still retained the mantle of Thor. So when Jane took on the mantle of Thor, she definitely held her own. She was in, she was involved in so many important storylines and definitely fought alongside Thor as well when they they both uh, needed each other's help they are love they they've been lovers through the years they have been friends through the years they have um, they have really had each other's back for a long time the word that i think of when i think of jane foster is hero she lands at number one because jane foster is a hero I hope you enjoyed this top five list. I look forward to doing more of these top five lists whenever I have time. And sooner rather than later, I hope we'll get Dan on the show and we can do the the flip side of this coin, the villains of Thor. That will be a lot of fun when we get the chance. But if you have any ideas for a top five list that we could do, let us know at Mighty Thor Podcast on Instagram. Or you can reach out to me on my personal Instagram at I am Ryan Doze. 
Now, let's conclude our conversation with Mike Rockwitz that we started last week. This is part two of our conversation with former Marvel editor Mike Rockwitz. Let's, you know, narrow in on your time with, with Thor. Do you have any, like... Any any fun stories from that creative team that you got to work with? I mean, who? Well, actually, maybe first, who who were the creative teams that you got to work with at your on your you know your your stint with Thor? And it, you know, just maybe share some 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 good story time. Well, great stories. I mean, working with Tom and Ron and Joe. Tom had great ideas. Fun to keep the mythos of uh, of Thor alive. Tying him in with other characters, uh, other comics as well, other other uh, instances like with, with crossovers. So that was a ton of fun, and uh, I, I can't say which issue because every one of them was fun. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then I mean, look what he created. He created Thunderstrike. You know, what, what what was the process of getting Thunderstrike off off the ground? Because Ron and I talked about Thunderstrike a little bit, but from an editorial point of view, what? What was it like introducing Eric Masterson into the Thor, you know, uh, Thor universe? I think it was pretty seamless. I think Tom came up with an idea. Ralph was like, hey, that's a great idea. And then Tom just wrote it in. I mean, it, it speaks for itself. It wasn't, yeah. like, it wasn't like a massive, you know, we have to kill Thor to make, you know, <laughs> Thunderstrike. It was sort of like, oh, here's Eric Masterson. Thor kind of goes away for a while and it's now Thunderstrike and... Beta Ray Bill shows up and it's the Thor core and, you know, like cool stuff. It yeah. Was yeah. It wasn't like a lot of smoke and mirrors. It's like, here, this is what we're doing. And it showed up and Thunderstrike was just cool. He was quirky. He was, he wasn't, he didn't speak in Asgardian speak as much as Thor. And, uh, you know, he was Eric Masterson. He was a guy. He had problems. You know, like it wasn't like Don Blake who just seemed like a tortured soul who eventually just kind of drifted away anyway. Like, does anyone even remember Don Blake at this point and Jane Foster, but you know, like Eric Masterson, you're like, Oh wow. He was, he, he was a integral part, sort of like the Peter Parker to Spider-Man. Yeah. You, you understood the duality of the character. It wasn't just like one or the other. So they, they were, they were closely tied in. And I, I think just the, um, how quickly Tom established the universe, like with Code Blue and a few of the other characters, while integrating, say, Ulick the Rock Troll in all of this. And, I love Ulick so and, much. And, and Loki. Yeah, <laughs> Ulick is another one of my favorites, too. Um, it, you know, it's just the way he did it was seamless. It was fun. And there wasn't this pressure to perform. It just, it just got done. And people liked it. You yeah, because at some point, dare I say, Thor was getting a little stale. You know, when you're around for 30 years or 25, 30 years, it's hard to keep figuring out what to do with them. I mean, look back at uh, Roy's run on it. He did the Celestial Saga. Wow. Yeah. With Keith Pollard. That was some of the most, those were some of the most incredible issues I've, I've ever read in there. You know, the Celestials actually appear in the Marvel Universe now, which is oh, great. Yeah. But We're getting there. We're getting real close. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> you know, uh, there's only so many of these epics that you can create. So by introducing Eric Masterson, it just kind of gave it a new lease on life where everyone's like, well, what about Thor now? Oh, you you miss Thor? Well, we'll, we'll he, he's just not that far away. So it was well done and it was an exciting part of it. And then during that, uh, somehow I got promoted. <laughs> okay, let's talk. Yeah, let's talk promotion to you, what you were full editor then. I was Ralph's assistant, and then I think there was an opening in the editorial department. Um, and they took me out to lunch, they being Ralph, Mark Grunwald, Mark, rest in peace, I love you, and uh, Tom DeFalco. And they said, Well, we're going to promote you. And I was like, Wow. And I'd been leapfrogged by a few people. And I always felt like, man, what do I have to do to get promoted here? But meanwhile, I was like in my early 20s. So I had no reason looking back to complain. Yeah. I, was still get, I was still getting a paycheck. I was still doing <laughs> what I love. But uh, yeah, I, got, I wanted more. I had that passion. And I, I think that was a healthy passion. It wasn't obsessive, like I said. But I had a passion. And then they said, you're promoted. So I'm like, great. What am I working on? Well, you're going to work on the Conan books. I'm like, awesome. 
You're yeah. gonna work on. You're gonna work on Nick Fury, Agent of Shield. I'm like, awesome. You're gonna work on Doctor Strange. I'm like, cool. And you're gonna work on Power Pack. And I'm like, oh gosh, okay. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, great. You know, yeah, I, the board's I, not bad. <laughs> I, I couldn't wait to get started. They gave me my own office. I, I hired an assistant, Barry Dutter, who, uh, you know, he he was good. Now he's reselling comic books. So, shout out to Barry. Um, and uh, I was off to the races. They trusted me enough to hand me the keys to the to these uh, classic titles and non-classic titles, and uh, I had fun with it. And along and some of the before I left Ralph's office, like I had done a lot of trade paperbacks with Thor. At Captain America, so I had a lot of fun working with like Walt Simonson on that, and uh, also the like when we were reprinting the Beta Ray Bill saga. So that was a lot of fun. Okay. In a trade paperback, and um, you know, doing my own thing, I was excited, but then I was also kind of deflated too, if that makes sense. Because here I was working on the comics I always loved, back to like Conan and Shield, kind of like books that were on their last legs. Nick Fury, Agent of Shield you know, before Marvel Universe movies was um, uh, not really, they didn't know what to do with them. Was it floundering a little bit? Yeah, it, they had that graphic, that six-issue limited series that Bob Harris wrote, you know, that was really cool. It gained a lot of momentum. It had beautiful painted covers like Bob Larkin and, and a few other folks created these great covers. And uh, they had this comic book that had some momentum and then the, the teams quit or I don't remember what happened. I inherited it. So I just did my best with it. Power pack. I just never understood, but it was canceled. It was basically canceled. So I had to run it out to okay. the, edge of, the edge of its existence. And then uh, Dr. Strange was exciting. I put Roy on that book immediately, or he may have already been on and I inherited him. I don't remember. Okay. And uh, Conan, the first thing I did was I put Roy Thomas on that as well. And, <laughs> and I got rid of everyone. I, and I put Roy Thomas on. I hired John Buscema. I brought back a lot of the old inkers. And we just had fun with it. Because if, if I'm going to work on Conan, I want it to be the Conan that I like. And uh, it, it was a seamless transition because the fans liked it. It still sold. You know, no one, it wasn't too disruptive. It wasn't like I, I had like Todd McFarlane on it or anything. I just, I, <laughs> it wasn't I, I, jarring. Yeah, it wasn't jarring and it was a throwback, but it was something that people liked. It was comfort. It was kind of like a, a good old bowl of chicken soup for me that your grandmother made. You know, here's Conan the way it used to look like. And um, so I, I, I learned more about how to be a, an editor then. And then eventually, once. You know, like some books shifted and then I, you know, got to work on Thor. So, so you had a stint of time where you were off of Thor. Yes. Once I you got in the editor uh, role. And then when you came back as full editor on Thor, what uh, was it like transitioning back to that book? But now you're kind of the, you know, the quote unquote boss. Yeah, I was the boss. All right. Um, it was awesome. It was also very intimidating. It was also the time of a great growth in comic books. It was sort of the, um, where everything had a holographic cover or had multiple covers and everyone was crossing over Wolverine and Ghost Rider and you know, <laughs> people didn't know what to do with the characters. And so Thor once again was sort of relegated to not a hot book. And I think Tom left, like Tom had left the book and Ron left. So the team, the creative team left, they went off to do Thunderstrike on their own. And um, I had Thor. So uh, I worked on Thor. I hired Roy. Roy Thomas and uh, <laughs> sensing course. a theme here. Yeah, yeah, because he made it easy. I, I can't say yeah. that I was the most effective editor. I was sort of lazy, but you know, being lazy by hiring one of the greatest writers in the history of comics is probably makes me a genius or not. But I just <laughs> Roy does it all. He's a writer, editor, and a perfectionist. So why not give it to him? And yeah, he, he took it with him. And um, one of the things I struggled with was finding the right artistic team on it. So I had hired this artist, Bruce Zick who okay. uh, Mark Grunewald had brought in some samples. He was like a Disney artist or something. He was like a background artist. And he had this, okay. he had this Kirby feel to his artwork. It wasn't like a Ron Friends Kirby feel. It was sort of a, I don't know if you know this artist, Tony Sammons. He, was, he had a brief career in comics that I'm aware of. It, it, had sort, of, it sort of had a, an impressionistic look to it, but it still looked like Kirby. Okay. So I gave him a few issues and it just didn't click. 
and uh, it had Mike DiCarlo as the inker. Mike's an awesome human being and inker. He had worked on, you know, Batman and tons of other characters and uh, over Jim Aparo at DC. And I put him on that. And so uh, Bruce didn't work out. And I was getting a little disheartened because as a, as a baseball manager, you see like you're in a, a losing streak. You've lost 12 out of 14. You know, you're in first <laughs> place. And that's, that's how I was starting to feel. Okay. And, that, and, and that's how you have to just – you need to um, shock things up, shake things up there is. And not like I brought in someone from the bullpen. I, I found another artist, Gary Hartle, who was a much more traditional – he worked with um, – Ron friends on the backup stories of, of Thor when I was the assistant editor on it. So I was like, let's give Gary a shot. And Gary was awesome. And uh, he did a few issues. And then I found this guy, MC Wyman, who I worked on with, uh, on shield with MC Wyman was a, an artist I found in the sample pile. Okay. <laughs> it got to the point where there was great growth. People were, there was this thing called Image Comics where everyone thought they could be an independent contractor. Yeah, uh, yeah. There was also DC Comics. There was a lot of competition. So a lot of work, but not a lot of artists to keep up. It's not like artists are just like waiting and lying in the wait, lying in the wings, waiting in the wings, so to speak. You have to groom them and, and do the Marvel style or, or just know that they can draw comic books the correct way. So MC Wyman got it. He was a little rough around the edges, but we brought him on and he was great. So, um, you know, uh, looking back, I can't say that my my fandom necessarily translated to the best run of the Mighty Thor as I had hoped. You know, we had things like the God Pack and, you know, yeah, looking yeah. back, you know, I'm, I kind of it, it's kind of cringeworthy. And we had some painted covers that. Looked cool when they came in the office, but 25 years later, they're kind of like, ooh, this looks like it belongs on the side of a van, you know. Uh, um, <laughs> a little dated? I, yeah, or just cheesy, dare I say. Uh, like airbrush covers were cool, but it just didn't work. I mean, they're well done, but they just don't translate well. It's not like we had Alex Ross doing the covers. I was just thinking the name Alex Ross. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I was yeah. Like, like, he can paint anything. Right, yeah, he could paint a mailbox. You're like, wow, that's amazing. This is the greatest oh. mailbox ever. Yeah, yeah, and so I, I didn't have that experience, but you know, uh, I'm not to say that I, I was like a third place manager in the major leagues. So for me, to, you know, like, I, I'm not going to downplay my my contributions, but I wasn't, I didn't win the division. You know, if if I continue using the baseball analogy, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was a major league manager on a third place or fourth place team, and well, uh, and I'll that put was this you've put together uh you put together way more comic books than i probably ever will so for well, that i mean as as a kid who you know i grew up you know like like you said earlier draw, draw, drawing heroes you know on, on on pieces of paper and you know classes that i was probably supposed to be paying attention in and uh, you know i've i've I've, ri I've written you know all of my life and and now i've got Honestly, I've got I've got a three year old son that loves talking about heroes and drawing heroes, and I'm like, man, here I'm talking to a, a guy who got to live out that dream, and you got to you got to create adventures and 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 blow people's minds with imagination, and uh, I mean for that, I mean that's that's like that's like my dream. You got to live my dream, and that's that's so that's so awesome. I'm I'm envious. Well. Truth be told, I got to live my dream, and uh, so it's all about me, Ryan. Uh, yeah, yes. So, yeah, and looking back, uh, I have to say, in retrospect, what an amazing ride! How fortunate I was. You know, it's not like I'm I'm going off into the into Valhalla now to the <laughs> exactly, yes. I don't want to sound like that. I'm We're not, not putting morbid. you out to pasture. I'm not morbid, but um, current day, I work with this comedian, Greg, Greg Criticos. Okay, shout out to Greg. He's a local Queens comedian, and he's he's starting to he's really taken off. And I do like graphic design; I do posters for him. And anytime he introduce he in, he's a great promoter. He's just like a natural showman. And I I'm sort of like I like to be behind the scenes. I could be creative, but I like to be behind the scenes. It's not like when I was in my twenties. I'm Mike from Marvel Comics. You yeah. know, I'm Mike. I'm Mike Rockwitz. I work at Marvel Comics. Here's my my business card and everything. So so um. He introduced me. Uh, this is a guy who worked with Stan Lee. He worked on the Mighty Thor. He worked on Captain America. And I'm like, oh, gosh, you're embarrassing me. But um, <laughs> it's true. And I feel that way. 
And when people turn around and look at me, they're like, wow. And I'm like, I, I'm, I'm kind of I'm, I'm humbled because I had the opportunity. I'm grateful for it. But people still think of that as an amazing opportunity. And I still do, too, as well. I, I'm, not, I'm not minimizing it. But it's nice that I impacted people. And even, even through Facebook, I'll have people writing me and uh, saying, like, oh, uh, like, like you did, of course. Yes. And um, just asking me for things, asking me questions. And I'm, and I'm, I'm flattered. I'm, I'm honored, you know, that people remember me. And like I started off, like I'm, I'm relevant. So um, it's, it's good times. And uh, yeah. to look back and to even talk about it now, I'm like, I'm getting all nostalgic. Like, <laughs> you know, like, to, like working on Thor and, and being a part of the creation of some of the great issues and coloring some of this stuff overnight when I was grousing about it. I look back on trade paperbacks and wow, I did that. I did that in three hours. And uh, most people would be killing to do that. Like, like you said, like, wow, this is a, it was a great ride. But uh, another thing I edited as well. Yeah. Uh, as we were preparing for this interview was the WCW comic book. Dun, oh dun, my dun. gosh, Mike. I can't believe I breezed right by. I, I, uh, I, I wasn't going to talk about it. I wasn't going to let you get off the hook with that just yet. The W, the world championship wrestling book. comic book. Yeah. Please. As believe a big wrestling fan, I got to know what that was like. Uh, it was fun. Let me tell you that. That's an understatement. Jim Salakrup. Shout out to Jim Salakrup. Okay. He works, he works at Paper Cuts Publishing now. He was the editor of Spider-Man when Todd McFarlane was on. He's a legend. I call myself the legend on Facebook, but Jim's a legend. He's super, <laughs> super awesome guy. He's an incredible human being. And he somehow negotiated with Turner Properties to get the WCW over comic book. And he's like, hey, you're a wrestling fan because, you know, Believe it or not, we used to wrestle in the hallways of Marvel Comics, me and uh, Dave Wool and everything, like jump off desks and figure four leg locks. And oh, we would, that's we, so cool. We would break posters and stuff, and we'd have we'd have uh, boxing by the freight elevators where we'd have gloves, and I would have blood capsules where he, I'd say he split me open. So we were, oh my gosh, it was always like we were kayfabing it, but like people were like, well, what's what's this? It's just, did he really get hurt? So it's always it was always a work as the lingo goes. Absolutely. And so we we knew how to work. So Jim said, "Hey, uh, I got this," and everyone's like, "I don't want to work on this." So I was like, "I'll work on it, absolutely." So um, I got to go over to the Turner Properties people. Over it was over by Penn Station, and we just talked about ideas. Like, what do you want? What do you want us to do with this? Like, what's the direction you want to do do it? And they didn't really have a clue either. Just like oh, it's just another method of exposing the, the Turner characters because it was Ted Turner's company, World Championship Wrestling. Yeah, who do they have at the time? Cactus Jack and Sting and Ron Simmons and Lex Luger and a bunch of other characters, and they hadn't gotten to the point where it was WCW Monday Night. I guess oh, WWE. This is pre Hogan. Yeah, Hogan hadn't come yet. It was. Before NWO and all that, we had guys like Johnny B. Bad. Uh, <laughs> oh my actually, gosh! I, I actually did a comic book signing of with Johnny B. Bad, Mark Mero. Uh, I think it was his wife or his girlfriend out in Long Island with Ron Wilson, the penciler, Mike Lackey. Mike Lackey was an insane wrestling fan in yeah. the office. And uh, when I got it, when I got the book, I was like, "Mike, do you want to write this?" He's like, "Absolutely." And um, like he just came up with all these like like Bruce Cruz and the Ghoul and all these characters, and I was like, "This is great! Just run with it!" Like I did not want to have much creative oversight because, like, just because I'm a fan doesn't mean I know best. Sometimes fans just want to do it their way. So yeah. I let I let Mike and run wild he'd run the stories by me i'm like this is awesome we'd send it over to the turner people i don't even think they read it to be honest <laughs> and uh we had ron wilson penciling it we and ron was great but he could barely get the likenesses right so i hired my roommate don hudson to be the inker okay don was a tremendous artist he was from the high school of art and design and he was an intern before me and he worked with the remita raiders and he was my roommate, and he was looking for work. I was like, hey, you want to edit this w ink this WCW comic book? He was like, absolutely. And he had done some inking for me on S.H.I.E.L.D. So gave him the WCW comic book, and he fixed the faces, made it look more like Lex Luger and Ron Simmons and oh. all that. And, and uh, I have very few pages of original art in my apartment. 
my humble abode. But the one page that I'm the proudest of is the last page of the first issue of the WCW comic book where Lex Luger takes some trophy and smashes it over Ron Simmons' head and then pile drives it on it. Because I said to Lackey, he has to pile drive him on the trophy. Because I, oh. I was such a wrestling nerd where Ray Stevens had pile-driven Jimmy Superfly Snooker on the cement floor twice in Allentown, Pennsylvania, that I said, this has to happen in a comic book that I edit. And it did. It made it into print. And, uh, you know, like he wrote the dialogue for Missy Hyatt, I think Jim Ross or whoever was the announcer, oh, saying this so is cool. disgusting and everything. And um, we put it out. I have the page. And the covers, we just would get stock photos that they gave us. They had nothing to do with like the, the actual story. Yeah, and we would just put silly cover copy on it, and I, I think it lasted a year. Yeah, yeah, it did not run that long. I was looking through the history of it, and I was like, oh, okay, this did not, this isn't, this didn't stick around for a while. But I yeah, mean, just a cool little bit of, I mean, as a wrestling fan, just a cool little bit of history. Yeah, it is. And uh, I was lucky to be a part of it because not many people can say they worked on a wrestling comic book for Marvel Comics. So uh, that's why I give myself the moniker, the legend. But yeah, it was because <laughs> I was young and I was able to do that. And uh, it was just fun because when you're trying to plot the, the Mighty Thor and Doctor Strange, then you're like, oh, what's going on with the WCW comic book, Mike? <laughs> uh, the ghoul on the booze pr- cruise or Bruce cruise or <laughs> some other silliness and Ron's turning in great pencils and, you know, we're putting on great cover copy and we're just putting it out there and you didn't care if it sold or not. And, um, going to comic book signings. And I think they gave us some free tickets that I didn't even go to an event at the Meadowlands. Cause I'm like, I was busy that night and, uh, it was just fun. Cause I was a huge wrestling fan up to that point. I started going to wrestling matches live at Madison square garden in 1981 I was a high school. I was in high school, freshman year, and my first friend in high school said to me, "Like I started school in September of '81." He said in November, he's like, "Hey, you want to go to the garden with me and my father to see some wrestling?" And I'm like, "What's that? Madison Square Garden?" He's like, "Yeah, we'll pick you up. We'll go." And I'm like, "Absolutely!" So I went to Madison Square Garden every month because he used to have the events there every month. Yeah. And uh, Howard Finkel would say, and next month coming to the garden. And oh. like during the end of the, of the matches and you're like, Oh, I have to come back for this. And uh, it was incredible. And I was obsessed with wrestling and um, I'd go to the independent shows. Uh, I would go to little arenas for it. And then once I'm in comic books and working on wrestling, I was like, this is amazing. And the only wrestler <laughs> I really met uh, I met Hulk Hogan one day when he came up to the offices. Oh, okay. <laughs> but he wasn't there for the WCW. I think he was just in town. And like, there's Hulk Hogan. I'm like, he's a giant guy. And I'm like, what's up? He's like, hey. And then. Um, <laughs> I met Hulk Hogan. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and then um, Johnny B. Bad, like, who's Mark Merrow. And, you know, he had the gimmick yeah. of, the, of the pink tights and the makeup. And although he was a an amateur boxer and he could kick anyone's yeah. ass. But he was this very effeminate you know, little Richard kind of character. Yeah, definitely little Richard. A feminine with a hot, hot ring girl. And uh, so that was just fun. So I had a a very varied career there. Mighty Thor, WCW, Conan, Power Pack, Silver (laughs) Surfer, Doctor Strange. Um, Then uh, all of a sudden, like what got me out of comics or out of Marvel was uh, the bankruptcy. Okay. You know, everything uh, with that was pumped up. Eventually, what goes up must come down. You know, there were trading cards, holographic covers, you know, foil covers. Uh, anyone who's a fan of the medium, you had Image coming up, and uh, there were sixteen X Men books, fourteen Wolverine books, ten Ghost Rider. I'm being sarcastic, but it just seemed like there was a saturation, a proliferation of characters that the market yeah. couldn't withstand. The direct market was almost going to go belly up. And uh, they just started laying people off. And they're like, well, you're part of the first uh, wave of layoffs. So I was like, oh, that sucks. Bummer. So my career was uh, shut down, I think, in 95. So I'd been up there for almost 10 years from the time I walked in there to uh, when I exited. And uh, the thing is, is that they, I was under an editorial contract. They'd given us contracts and it had just renewed. So they paid me for a year to do nothing. Oh, okay. Which was awesome because, you know, I, I got to travel and yeah. chill. 
And uh, I went out to San Diego and I met up with the former letterer and assistant editor of the Mighty Thor, Mike Heisler. Okay. Who was the editor in chief of Wildstorm for Image. He'd been out, he had been working with Image for a couple of years. And he's like, hey, do you want to work out here? And I'm like, yeah, sure. So I moved to San Diego and worked for Jim Lee's company on things like Gen 13 and Wetworks and I don't even know what else, DV8 and uh, Wildcats and and Stormwatch. And I'm like, oh, this is different. This is this like, like working on Conan when you're in next to the Mighty Thor office was one thing, but working on Grifter, I was like, oh no, I, I, I did it just for the paycheck and for the love of the medium. I didn't last long. I lasted about 18, 20 months. Okay. And the last run. But what had catapulted me out the door from there was I Heroes Reborn had come about. Okay. That's where Marvel was going to reignite the spark for the comic books. So they started hiring the image guys to do the Marvel comics. So Rob Liefeld was doing Captain America. Uh, I think Wills Protasio and I think Jeff Loeb were doing Iron Man and and I, I don't know who was doing Fantastic Four. So Rob just, I don't know what happened. Somehow the books came out to Wildstorm. So Mike asked me, do you want to edit Captain America? And I'm like, really? <laughs> do I? I'm like, okay. You know, and at that point, Mark Greenwald had already passed away. And I was Mark's editor on Captain America. And uh, I was already the editor of Captain America and I got laid off from Marvel. So I still had a bitter taste in my mouth. I'm like, oh, so I wasn't good enough to edit this when I was at the Marvel offices in New York City. But 3000 miles away in an image comic books, I'm now good enough to edit Captain America. So I had a bit of an attitude and a chip on my shoulder. So I lasted about eight issues on that. And, you know, it was Jeff Loeb and um, oh, I forgot the artists who were working on it. They were super talented. I think it wasn't Mel Rubio, someone else. Uh, they were talented. It was just like, I can't do this anymore. You know, <laughs> like, so in like 97, I was like, I'm done. And I just packed up my stuff and I came back to New York and I was like, I, I can't do this. And I, I freelance for Marvel, like doing computer coloring and interior coloring and stuff on okay. all the books, like X-Men Cable and uh, Excalibur. I did some Thor work. I was coloring Thunderstrike for a while. But but not not in a very uh, would you say like consistent like it, like it had been earlier just a few no years no back. it wasn't like this was my monthly gig I do like spot work and I I was just burned out because when you start off as a kid and you're thirty like you start off when you're seventeen eighteen and then you're thirty like it's almost like a major league career you're at you're on your last legs <laughs> and, yeah and yeah thirty by I wish I was still thirty but but you know thirty is by no means you know a retirement age. But I was just like, I'm done. This is just, it's, this doesn't have the same thing for me. So I, uh, I just switched careers and I, and I got out of it because the work was drying up. It was the computer age. And I like, I, I work on computers every day. We're talking via computer right now. Don't, don't get me wrong. And I, <laughs> yes. I, work, I work in educational technology. So computers are my friend. They're my ally. They, they keep me off the streets. But um, <laughs> I, I colored comic books with traditional Doc Martin dyes and color coded them with a pen. And now they wanted me to color code something in adobe photoshop on a computer that kept giving me the little bomb in the middle of doing something that never saved my work (laughs) oh no it's the old mac the power max and fugazi max of the 90s and late 90s it wasn't like oh i have my macbook pro that can handle everything you know macs were a little they were newer yeah 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 and photoshop was still on version six or seven you know it wasn't like creative cloud Uh, like the stone age compared to today yeah i mean it's still dynamic and you could still do the work but it took forever to save things like you could walk away get a cup of coffee take a shower and it would still be saving something (laughs) one cover and you would always cross your fingers like will this work and then you had to put it on a zip disc or a side quest drive and bring it into the office it was like it was different and i didn't like it it lacked the organic feel of the paper you know, the Xerox paper, the dyes, the brush, the sitting at a table and listening to music. And this was just like boring. It was very boring to me. And I did it for the paycheck. And, you know, like, and it just took forever. Like one cover would take almost 10 hours. I'm like, I'm doing the separators work. I'm doing all this other work and putting all these lens flares and color holds and all that. 
and I'm making a hundred bucks. I'm like, I'm making less now than I was you know, like nearly when I was a high school intern. So this is just not, not worth it. It was time to move on. Yeah, uh, it was. So I, I pulled the plug on it and, you know, I can't say that, you know, anyone said, Oh Mike, wait, you know, I, I let my feelings be known and I was done. So, so Mike, b- before, before we get out of here, I just, sure. I just wanted to maybe, maybe look back in retrospect when, when you, when you leave Thor, like what, what was, what was, what was your favorite part of, of working on Thor? What was, what did you hope to accomplish on your time with that character? Uh, and, and then we'll, 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 we'll get out of here. What was I hoping to accomplish? Yeah. Cause, cause I mean, you were a fan as a kid and you loved this character and then you got to work on him and, and what, what was your hope to, to accomplish on your time there? Well, I wanted to bring him back to relevance or maintain his relevance in the Marvel universe, because like I alluded to earlier or stated earlier, Ghost Rider and, uh, you know, all these other characters were just like stealing all the thunder. The X characters, Wolverine, were stealing the thunder and Thor was once again being relegated to the past. So I wanted to keep his relevance. I wanted to maintain sales. I wanted to maintain uh, consistency with how he had been written throughout his history. You know, um, when you look at Thor, at least up until when I exited or a few years after, he had a lot of good runs. Yeah. It wasn't like, it wasn't like one of those titles where you're like, I, I, I don't like the DC bash, but a lot of DC comic books, the older characters, it just seems like they've had everyone in the world trying to do them. Yeah. Like, I don't know how many people have written Batman? Like, my God, and Superman, because they're ancient characters too, but it just seems like so many rotating, uh, rotating creative teams. And, um, Thor had some pretty solid teams on it. You know, like they stayed on it because they liked the character. And that's what I wanted to establish and maintain. I think I was in maintenance mode then. And I wanted to make sure that I didn't do anything to screw it up. So I think I was a little gun shy because like when you're, you're given the major league, you're up, you brought up from the minors to the majors. You're like, Oh, I might strike out for the first, you know, six weeks. So yeah, that's how I felt. And that's um, understandable. And, uh, also managerially, the company was changing. So it wasn't like I was just left on my own. And I thought, I, I, this is important for context. Yeah. I, I had a managing editor, then I had a group editor, and then I had an editor in chief. I don't know if you've seen the movie Office Space where it says, like, you know, I, don't yes. know who to report. I have like five or six bosses. I had that. And it took the joy out of just wanting to create the character, work with the characters as is. I had to keep running things by people because there were so many crossovers going in the world and everyone wanted their hand in reviewing it. They were just doing their job, but the way management was, had become was just nuts where you were just like, who do I answer to? Why doesn't this person like it? And it kind of sucked the life out of me. And I was just trying to keep my dignity and the grace of the character as well. And not, you know, not just fly off the handle and say like, well, you do it. Because I love, I love Thor. I love the character. I always will. I always have. And um, so that was my mission. Yeah. And, and if I could go back in time, would I do it differently? Well, hopefully, hopefully I could if the managerial structure wasn't in place, you know, and I had had some of the smarts I had now. And if I could hire Jack Kirby again, I would. But, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, that's the ace in the hole all yeah, the time. <laughs> yeah. Given all of the ingredients, uh, my goal was just to keep it, keep it moving along, make it exciting for the readers, make sure that they kept coming back, making sure that the stories were clear. They may have been goofy, but at least you could say, oh, I, there was a beginning, middle, and end. There was a conflict, and our hero wasn't relegated to the background. So that was always the mission. Whether it was successful or not remains to be seen, as uh, people remember me and as they shovel dirt on me in the, in the cemetery. I don't know, but <laughs> oh no, <laughs> my goal was always like, I, it wasn't just for a paycheck. It, you get into comic books, not just for the paycheck. It's not like, oh, I'm going to work at Wendy's just so I can get a paycheck to, to cover, cover some bills. You have to have a passion to work in comic books. You have to have that willingness to go to any length to make the characters the best they could be. And that's what I wanted to do. 
And well, for the most part, I'm happy with what I did. I, I, I'm den- I, I've been, you know, denigrating my, my, my work because as a creative person, you need to always check yourself. You can't just say, my, my, my poop doesn't stink. You know, <laughs> I'll own it. You know, I'll own the stench. And, um, and sometimes I put out some clunkers and sometimes I put out some really good stuff. So looking well, back, I'm happy. Well, I, I can I can definitely say uh, I, I appreciate all the work you put into it. I've been able to read uh, some of the issues that you've edited. Um, and, you know, uh, Ron, Ron talking to Ron was was awesome because he kind of let me on the inside of, of that of that time period on the book and just getting to further that conversation with you. I really appreciate your guys work because um, it's it's something that you know so many of us probably think we could do better. Uh, but you guys actually, you know, uh, put your 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 time and your your sweat and your hours into it and uh and really put your put yourselves to the task of entertaining people and uh i've been incredibly entertained i i did want to give people an opportunity to reach out to you i mean we we connected uh through the captain america comic book fans podcast or comic book fans facebook group um and that's where we kind of started our conversations where can people if they want to reach out to you and talk further, uh, maybe about some comics or uh, uh, maybe, maybe a world championship wrestling, um, where, where can people reach out to you? Hmm. That's an interesting question. Uh, I'm so reclusive. I'm not on a lot of pages. Uh, they can email me. Okay. You know, that's fine. I'm a big fan of white castle hamburgers. So those of you, who are, <laughs> those of you who are listening, I can be reached at white castle rock, like rock as in Rockwood. So one word, white castle rock at yahoo.com. Uh, I have a white castle tattoo. That was my first tattoo ever in 1987. Oh, why I, also the legend. So white castle rock at yahoo.com. I'm not a big Facebook guy. I go on, you know, I'm, I'm in my fifties people. So I'm not a boomer, but I'm also not one of these people who lives for, you know, uh, social media. Like, what's going on in the world today? I check in because I have my kids on it. My friends are on it. Like, you know, Walt Simonson at wished me happy birthday a couple of weeks ago. How cool am I? You know, I, <laughs> How I, just, cool am I? <laughs> I just maintain my friendships like that because these are people I love and work with. So uh, that's why I do it. But, you know, email is best. If you can find me on these fan pages, I'm on the Captain America fan page because I stumbled upon it. I thought it was really cool. If there's a Thor fan page, I will happily join it. But, you know, like I said, how many fan pages can you can you deal with in one day with so much yeah. time? So many distractions, like a day job. And uh, the, new, <laughs> the New Universe page, you know, I'm a part of that too, because uh, it's fun to just see the people who, or meet the people who actually read this stuff. And I'm like, where were you when this was actually happening? You <laughs> yeah, you I'm, come on, guys. <laughs> I still have a job if you actually bought the damn things. Nostalgia's just great. But yeah, so yeah, whitecastlerock at yahoo.com. Okay. You know, I, I can't guarantee that I'll be responsive immediately. Uh, I Hopefully I don't open up the floodgates here. My ego will indicate that I am. <laughs> but, you know, feel free to reach out. You know, I, I love I love chatting with people. You know, I... Uh, I'm humbled by all this still. I'm grateful for the opportunity just to do this today. So uh, thank you. Well, Mike, I really appreciate it. Uh, I just want to give anybody the opportunity. Uh, if if anything, uh, your your work um, spoke to them or entertained them, just to give them an opportunity like you've given me an opportunity tonight. I just want to say thank you and uh, we'll down the road. You got it, Ryan. Thanks, everyone. And even if my work sucked, you can tell me. I can take it. <laughs> thanks, everyone. Bye. Look forward to this uh, being live. So thanks again. That does it for the show today, everyone. I hope you enjoyed our latest list segment and the conclusion of our chat with Mike Rockwitz. Now, next week on the show, we're going to be joined by a guest that I am super excited to share with you. His name is Chris Eberly, and he is from the Comic Geek Speak podcast. If you don't know what that podcast is, go search for it. Check it out. It's a great group of guys over there that talk comics and movies and, and all sorts of stuff. They do a great job over there. Chris is going to join us for an extra special Asgardian history lesson. Yeah, we are going to cover a group of short 
comics called The Tales of Asgard that provide more background information on Asgard, Odin, Loki, Thor, and so many more characters. You won't want to miss our fun conversation with Chris. Also, we have some new comics we're going to talk about. Next week, we are going to break down issue number five of the Mighty Valkyrie limited series from Thorn Grunbeck that is coming out, uh, I believe, next week. So that limited series has been running for most of the year. We're going to talk about it next week, and maybe later on we'll go back and we'll read the entire run of that limited series with you. As always, we want to thank you for joining us aboard the Rainbow Bridge today. Hope you enjoyed the show. Be sure to share this with a friend, and don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the show wherever you find great podcasts. If you want to talk more about Thor, which we always want to do, go follow us on Instagram at Mighty Thor Podcast. Tell us your favorite friend of Thor. Who was your favorite person that maybe didn't make the list today? Also, don't forget to reach out to Mike Rockwitz at Mike Rockwitz. He would love to chat with you and just let you pick his brain a little bit about his time at Marvel Comics. I have been Ryan Doze. I hope you've enjoyed the show today. Until we see you again aboard the Rainbow Bridge, I would like to remind you, stay worthy.